So President Trump is being accused of anti-Semitism again, this time by a from reporter who is not happy that Trump criticized George Soros. So Trump is being labeled an anti-Semite or being accused of invoking an anti-Semitic trope because of criticizing George Soros. And we've heard this sort of criticism before, and it's totally baseless. It is not anti-Semitic to criticize George Soros. George Soros is an evil man. He's a dangerous man. He happens to be Jewish. That does not make you an anti-Semite for criticizing him. Here's the twisted logic liberal use. Liberals use. If Soros is Jewish and you criticize him, even when it's warranted, then that somehow makes you an anti-Semite. It's as twisted as when somebody says, if you criticize Elon Omar then you're Islamophobic. If you criticize Barack Obama, then you are a racist. There's no validity to that whatsoever. It's like as though minorities are somehow immune to any sort of criticism or else you're a racist because how dare you criticize a minority if it's warranted and the person happens to be Jewish. By the way, Trump, in this fundraising email, which we will tell you about, where he criticized Soros, he did not mention the fact that Soros is a Jew. You're not an anti-Semite. By the way, the same liberals who are invoking the anti-Semitism card. You know, they accuse Trump of anti-Semitism uh, over acu- over criticizing Soros. They accuse Fox News of anti-Semitism when they criticize Soros. Yet they don't they never say it when somebody criticizes uh, Jews such as Ben Shapiro or Mark Levin. Uh, why is it that, that that's a little bit selective, don't you think, that it's only when you criticize a liberal Jew like Soros, who, by the way, is evil, unlike Ben Shapiro, unlike Mark Levin. And he's he has blood on his hands, as we're going to explain. But it's only when you criticize somebody on the right, on the left, I should say, that you are labeled an anti-Semite. So Trump sent out a fundraising email basically saying that George Soros is trying to buy the election in 2024 for Joe Biden, which is spot on. And reporter Jacob Kornblu of The Forward, he says, well, Trump is repeating an anti-Semitic trope about Jews using money to buy power to control politics. It's incidental. Soros happens to be a Jew. The man is pure evil. He's evil incarnate. His funding, George Soros's funding, has single-handedly put into place radical leftist DAs, pro-criminal DAs around the country, and crime has surged as a direct result of George George Soros funding, uh, putting into place and installing all these DAs in Baltimore, in New York City, in Philadelphia, in Chicago, in St. Louis. These woke DAs whose cities have rampant crime off the charts, out of control. According to the New York Post, Soros is the most dangerous man in America. So, And by the way, there's another issue here, which is that if we're going to accuse those who criticize George Soros as anti-Semites, Then we're hurting our own cause because we're actually diminishing. You cannot abuse the term anti-Semite because then you're diminishing the term anti-Semite, the label. And then it just becomes meaningless. And it's like the boy who cried wolf because then when somebody really is an anti-Semite and we label them an anti-Semite, oh, well, you just call everybody an anti-Semite. The word anti-Semite should really be reserved only for people who truly hate Jews. So as I said, Trump has every right to send this email and as Jews, we should be extremely careful. Number one, do not overuse and abuse the term anti-Semite because that's not going to help us. That's going to hurt us. Number two, we need to call out people like George Soros ourselves. It shouldn't only be Trump that's condemning Soros. We as Jews should distance ourselves and should criticize and condemn Soros and say he's not one of us. The same way we expect peaceful Muslims to condemn radical Islamic terror and say this does not represent the majority of Muslims. So Jews, at the, in the exact same way, Jews need to condemn Soros and say, 
listen, we condemn him because he doesn't represent us. We don't do this. We don't condone this type of very, very evil, dangerous behavior. Not to mention, by the way, Trump is not an anti-Semite. He's the furthest thing from an anti-Semite. Trump's record on Jews has been nothing short of stellar. We're not going to go through the entire long list right now of issues in which Trump was literally the best friend of Jews, very big supporter of Israel, still continues to be. Yes, I know that there was the one hiccup. I know he met with Kanye. I know he met with Nick Fuentes. He later denounced uh, Nick Fuentes. We're not going to rehash all of that right now. But there is no question that Trump was and continues to be one of the most supportive presidents of Jews in U.S. history. And I want to talk about something else. Netflix has put out a new movie, and this has gotten a lot of attention. The movie, I believe, is called You People. I know very little about this movie except what I've read in the media, but it depicts Jews in a very, very negative light. And again, we continue to see dangerous, dangerous uh, media portrayals of Jews. A lot of it's fictional and satirical, like on Netflix and uh, on other media platforms. But this is very dangerous. And the fact that it's so popular, and I do question if, if the fact that maybe we give it too much attention ourselves, maybe the fact that we're outraged about it and that we're publicly discussing our outrage and bringing it to the mainstream media, bringing it to the spotlight, does that make more people interested and does that actually give it PR, which then causes more people to watch it? Ironically, would it be would it be better? I, I don't know myself. I don't know if anybody has the answer, but would it be better if we just kind of ignored it? But either way, it, it has been discussed. A lot of Jews out there uh, have expressed their outrage, their disgust at Netflix and at the people who are producing these films. This one portrays Jews as degenerates, as immoral, perverse, arrogant, selfish, like really, really bad, as negative as can be, the portrayal of Jews. And it depicts, it depicts Jews as being almost detested by society. So it's pure anti-Semitism in its rawest form. And it's amazing that this can happen in 2023. Like, imagine if Netflix did this kind of thing about blacks or Muslims. Obviously, they would never, ever be able to get away with it. But somehow, Jews are fair game, and it's still okay to discriminate against Jews. We're like the one minority, the one form of hate that somehow is not politically correct is anti-Semitism. And uh, what's interesting, in the movie, from what I've read, blacks in the movie face a lot of racism, but Jews do not face any bigotry or any Racism. Jews are portrayed as the ones with the connections, as the ones who are successful, and blacks are the ones who are squashed by racism. So it is really egregious. There are other Netflix shows. The, you know, the, the, this one, you people, that focuses on Jews. I don't. I don't think. My understanding is it does not specifically focus on religious Jews and Orthodox Jews, but it just paints all Jews in a negative light. Then you have other Netflix shows, such as My Unorthodox Life, which actually target. Orthodox Jews and portray Orthodox Jews as being intolerant, judgmental, abusive. Some of the shows falsely claim that Orthodox Jews are just totally isolated from the outside world, which is not true. Pressure children to live unhappy lives. Very, very dangerous messaging. Very false messaging and just disingenuous. And these shows and the Jews who act in these shows, they are viciously hurting their own people. There are Jews who act in these shows and in these movies and in these films, and what they're doing is they are increasing anti-Semitism. They're spreading a false narrative, which is a dangerous narrative, which actually incites and inspires anti-Semites to then 
respond and to hurt Jews, and and, and it increases hatred of Jews. And what's interesting is somebody on on Twitter actually called out the actors in these uh, Netflix films and Netflix shows, and then this person, this was an Orthodox person who did it. I'll tell you his name because it's not a secret. It's very public. It's still on Twitter. His name is Beryl Solomon. He called out the Jews who are who appear as actors in these films and in these shows, Julia Hart and Jonah Hill. And then he sort of retracted. You know, He said they do not represent Jews. And then he actually sort of retracted. And I agree with him the first time. I don't agree with his retraction, even though I, I, I respect it, as I'm going to explain. But these the, these actors, such as Jonah Hill, Julia Hart, they, they are self-hating Jews who literally spread dangerous false misinformation. And, and as I said... They are increasing anti-Semitism. And what he said is, these people don't represent Jews. We have to speak out and we have to make it clear to the world that this is not who we are. These people, they are fringe. They are not uh, representative of the Jewish community. And not only is he correct, he actually wasn't strong enough because Jews who go on the media, go on television, go on Netflix and portray us in a way that's dangerous and who blast their religion, condemn and criticize their religion, um, make a mockery of our religion, they are very, very dangerous. They're disgraceful. So not only uh, do they not represent Jews in Judaism, but their actions actually could lead to Jews being threatened, assaulted, and possibly even worse. So this man, Beryl Solomon, was 100% right that these uh, Netflix actors do not represent Jews. And are they misguided? Look, I don't want to judge them. It's possible that they're misguided. It's not about judging them. I'm judging their actions. I'm judging their behavior. Their behavior is reprehensible. Maybe they don't know any better. Maybe it's justified. Maybe they're traumatized. Maybe they had bad experiences. I don't want to get into, you know, what's going on inside their heads and psychoanalyze them. Their behavior is dangerous, egregious, disgraceful, and could do an awful lot of damage and does not represent Jews or Judaism in any way, shape, or form, and that has to be called out. Now, Beryl Solomon sort of retracted. He apologized for saying that they don't represent Jews. He said that he should have called out Netflix, but should not have called out the Jews who are actually in the films, and he said that he later spoke to his rabbi, and his rabbi instructed him, don't attack the people in these movies, the people in these shows, attack Netflix, attack the platform. I respect him. I I don't agree. You know, um, from my understanding, it does not make sense to me because I don't think there was anything wrong with what he said. To me, what he said is a no-brainer, but I respect the fact that he's saying, listen, this is what my rabbi said, and therefore I'm going to go with my rabbi. And he did apologize for calling out these people as not representing Jews. Now, it's a no-brainer. They don't represent Jews. There's a woke mentality out there. This is what bothers me, that you cannot say anything bad about Jews or or, or else you're intolerant. Now, obviously... We should not be too negative. You should not speak Lush and Hara. But if somebody is damaging us, I believe we have an obligation to speak out, just like we speak out against the Jewish reporters at the New York Times who keep attacking Hasidim, who keep attacking yeshivas. Again, I'm not judging them, but I'm calling out their behavior. Now, you can have a different debate. You can debate, should this be a public conversation on Twitter? Maybe there are so many non-Jews on Twitter, on the platform, perhaps you could argue we should not have these sort of fights and debates and discussion where we're ripping other Jews and slamming other Jews on Twitter, you could say that should not be for the public discourse. That's something that should be, uh, that's a discussion that should only be had privately amongst Jews on a private Jewish platform, if those if those exist these days. But 
Twitter's not the place for it. That That's okay. We can have that discussion. I'm not sure which side I fall out on. On that conversation, that is a healthy debate. But to, but but for the fact that Beryl Solomon got backlash and was told, how can you say that these people don't represent Jews, that these people don't represent Judaism? He's 100% right. These people don't represent Jews. These people don't represent Judaism. And as I said, you could possibly go even further than that. But there's a woke mindset that uh, you cannot ever criticize a Jew, no matter what, no matter how much damage they do to the majority of the Jewish community or to religious Jews and the Orthodox community, but you cannot say anything negative about Jews or else that makes you intolerant. And that's a woke mindset, and it's seeping into even Orthodox Judaism, and I don't agree with that mindset one bit. Joe Rogan, the podcaster with the massive audience, he defended uh, Elon Omar and her comments about Jews and about it's all about the Benjamins. And let me say this, okay? I don't believe I'm going to criticize Joe Rogan. I'm more puzzled than anything else. Joe Rogan is not an anti-Semite. I don't believe for a second that Joe Rogan is an anti-Semite. That doesn't excuse, condone, or defend what he did in any way. I'm just perplexed is what I am. But here's and and I don't think Joe Joe Rogan is an anti-Semite. But Elon Omar is not only an anti-Semite. She's a vicious, vicious, evil, vile, heinous anti-Semite. So why on earth? I think Rogan, it's more like clueless than anything else and on the part of Rogan. And I know maybe I'll get in trouble for saying, you know, am I giving him a pass here? Because and Joe Rogan's not a conservative. Joe Rogan, he's he's just like, he's a rabble rouser. I don't know how to describe it. He'll just like sort of take things from all sides. You know, he, he wants to drum up controversy. I don't even mean that in a negative way, but he likes compelling stories. He, he kind of, he always likes to play devil's advocate. All right, but what about this side? What about that side? So I'm not defending Rogan because I think he's conservative. I'm defending Rogan because I just don't believe for a minute that he's an anti-Semite, but he did defend a vicious anti-Semite, and so far he has not been forced to apologize. So, he, he, so here's what he said. Uh, Rogan said that Jews are into money, and that's not a good thing. To, I, I know I don't believe when someone says that it makes them anti-Semite. I'm going to explain. We have to kind of analyze. You know, the, the, there are two types of statements that can be harmful to Jews, to blacks, to minorities. So we'll get into that. But um, here, here's what he said. He said, oh, what did Elon Omar do wrong? She said that Jews are into money. Uh, you know, everybody knows that, that Jews are into money. He made some kind of comment. It's ridiculous to claim that Jews are not into money. Okay, number one. Everybody is into money. Now, what he said, I'm going to explain what he said, and I'm going to explain my questions with it, but everybody's into money, okay? You're telling me Jews are more into money than non-Jews, than Italians, than black people, than Hispanics. Who's not into money? You know, that, that that's the reality. I'm not, I'm not talking about certain individuals who spend their time doing things that are more productive and say, listen, I'm, I just don't care about money. But in general, speaking broadly about different groups of people, they're all into money. So – Rogan didn't mean to say, oh, well, Jews are into money. It's ridiculous to claim that, that Jews are not into money. What, what Rogan meant was, I believe he meant that you look at this sort of predominance, you look at this trend of um, you know, Jews uh, uh, seem to be pretty successful and pre- seem to be good at making money, whether it's the discipline, whether it's the academia. You know, we could, we could debate and analyze, and it's already been discussed and even researched, you know, why it is that Jews seem to have a, a higher tendency of – um, being academics, of being lawyers, being professionals, possibly being wealthier, being Nobel Prize winners, etc. It's it's like disproportionate, right? So so in a good way. So that's probably what Rogan meant to say. Now the not problem number one is that that's not what Elon Omar said when she said it's all about the Benjamins. The issue is not that she was saying well Jews are into money. The issue and, and and Joe Rogan's guest was like yeah Elon Omar shouldn't have to apologize. And Rogan was basically saying she shouldn't have been kicked off the committee. 
Now, now she didn't. If she had said Jews were into money and that was it, you know, she now she has a long history, a long track record. Now, does Rogan not know this? She's a vicious anti-Semite. I mean, she uses like literally rhetoric that was used in my in my comp about Jews hypnotizing the world and all sorts. Just just again and again. And then she says, "Oh, I didn't realize that was an anti-Semitic trope. I didn't realize this was an anti-Semitic trope. I had no idea Jews and money. I didn't know that was a thing." She said the tweaks ago on CNN. So. The problem is, but she implies that Jews buy uh, political support, Jews buy off politicians, Jews bribe politicians to support Israel, and talks about Israel being an apartheid state and, and, and compares Israel to Hamas and to Hezbollah and, and, and Al-Qaeda. And she, by the way, compared the United States to terrorists as well. So she's really, really, really evil, and she's a, a, one of the worst kinds of anti-Semitic, uh, of anti-Semites. So that's the issue with... With Elon Omar, right? That, that, that's the problem. Now, so Joe Rogan saying, well, everyone knows Jews are into money, so what did Elon Omar do wrong? He totally missed the point about what Elon Omar did wrong. But it gets to a deeper question, which is, even when you say, well, Jews are into money, or you say, well, Jews like making money, or seem to be good at making money, any of those things, right? The problem, and I struggle with this, I struggle with this, when does it become anti-Semitic? Because, uh, and now, now, does that lead to, does that type of rhetoric, do, do those kinds of comments, even if he's accurate, let's say he would do a study, and let's say, you know, there's a predominance of Jews in high-level executive positions in the media, in Hollywood, etc. Um, you know, or, or, or Jews tend to be more successful making money than other groups, whatever. Right? Now, if that's the fact, that's the fact. So how is it anti-Semitic? The answer is it leads to anti-Semitism because people take it, misconstrue it, and then use it as a pretext. That's at least the argument, you know, that, that it spreads and increases anti-Semitism. So I have a reason why I have a dilemma because let's say black people, let's say for argument's sake that the facts are that um, prisons are disproportionately fill, filled with, 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 with African-Americans. Let's say that there are more, more of a, a higher percentage of African-Americans in prison than their proportion in the rest of society. So in other words, there's a disproportionately high number of African-Americans in prisons. Let's just say somebody gets up, makes that comment. He's going to be labeled a racist. By the way, Rogan said about Jews like that can never, ever be said about uh, about, uh, about blacks or you forget it. You know, I mean, uh, that's it. Like the, he would be he'd be fired, but fired. That would be the least of his issues. He'd be like placed before a firing squad or whatever. But um, so, so so that's number one. But the point is, if you make comments and your comments are inherently not anti-Semitic, but they can lead to anti-Semitism or they can lead to racism against blacks, etc. But what you're saying is just a fact, but it's a fact that sheds, sheds negative light on a group because all minorities have their issues. So that's where I'm kind of torn. You know, should you make those comments? Should you not? I don't believe you're an anti-Semite if you say something like, well, Jews seem to be very you know, disproportionately successful. Or if you say that African-Americans disproportionately end up in jail, I don't think that that makes you a racist. But I do think there's like a slippery slope there. But again, the, just the fact that Rogan criticized Elon Omar, he should be forced to apologize. And I don't know what he's thinking. And, and, and he's going to claim ignorance. And why well, I didn't realize, I, I just thought she was talking about Jews and money. But it, it really is very, very disturbing and even uh, disgraceful. All right, a listener asked me, why is it a problem for us to keep borrowing and raising the debt ceiling? Just keep borrowing 31 trillion, 32 trillion, 35 trillion, 40 trillion. We're just going to keep borrowing to pay for that and then borrowing to pay for that and printing more money. What's the big deal? I'm not an economist. That's your disclaimer. I do think it is a big problem. You know, Every fiber in me thinks it's a big problem. And I'll just give you an example, just a thought experiment here. Where do you draw the line? Those who say, well, we could just keep borrowing, no big deal, right? The debt ceiling just keep raising it higher and higher. 
Where? What's your limit? And there's got to be a limit. You have to admit, you know, $50 trillion, $100 trillion. Let's say we want to borrow now $200 trillion. We'll have plenty of money. We'll be able to, you know, basically I- I- implement socialism and give everybody a nice healthy salary, right? So would that be okay? Where do you draw the line? So obviously you also agree. Everybody agrees that there's some point where we just are way too much in debt and we're not, it's not sustainable. There's some point it's not sustainable. So then, well, I draw the line at 40 trillion, 50 trillion, 60 trillion. Well, you're just being intellectually dishonest because like it's just arbitrary at that point. Again, you speak to an economist, but it's just arbitrary. So we ha- the answer is then everybody agrees there's some point where it's just too much borrowing. But the question is, where do you draw the line? Well, to me, it's like higher than GDP right now. The uh, the national debt and uh, and the interest that we're paying, we're paying like four hundred billion dollars in interest yearly on the debt on 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 the the debt that we owe, which four hundred four hundred billion dollars is like almost a tenth of the total federal yearly budget. It's a lot of money, and that money's got to come from somewhere. So my point is that money has to come. Everyone has a point. It's like when Rush Limbaugh used to say, you know, minimum wage. Uh, the, the Democrats want to raise minimum wage to $15 an hour, $20 an hour. Well, Rush Limbaugh used to say, when you're ever you're debating this with someone, with a liberal, say, okay, well, can we just keep going? You want to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which is which is arbitrary, by the way. So is there some point where you say, that's it, enough is enough, and it doesn't go any higher? Or can you just keep going? $15 an hour, $20 an hour, $25 an hour, how high is too high? And he said inevitably the liberal will say, well, $20 an hour, I think that's reasonable. Well, $22 an hour, eh, not so sure. $25 an hour, too high, too high. You can't raise the minimum wage that high. Well, why not? Because that's just too high. Well, why? And you get them caught up and tripped up because they cannot explain why they suddenly decided to stop there. Well, that's just too high. We know that's too high. So they, it, it just becomes random. So their argument, they agree there's some point. So the only debate now is, okay, well, how high is too high? Well, both numbers are arbitrary. All I'm saying is, it's probably already too high, or it may be too high already. So stop borrowing because err on the side of caution, which is stop borrowing and mortgaging our future, our children's future. But and now, so that's your sort of um, that's the preface to my answer. So, uh, like I said, right now the interest payments. How do you pay for that? So we either borrow more money to cover the interest and then keep borrowing, and it's a vicious cycle, and the interest payments go higher and higher, or you print money, and that's not a good. Recipe because that's already led to massive inflation. So, uh, or you raise taxes. So here's the problem: those are your two options. We won't feel it right now. If we borrow, we're not going to feel it today, tomorrow. We'll feel it in several years. And right now, we're feeling the pain of the fact that we borrowed and raised the debt ceiling ten years ago. So here, either they're going to print more money to pay back debt that devalues the dollar, that leads to more inflation. Inflation is already out of control. Or they're going to eventually raise taxes. They're not going to raise it now. Maybe they won't raise taxes in the typical way. They'll raise it on Amazon purchases or they'll raise it on companies or, or some other tax that they'll come up with. There's a lot of ways to raise taxes, a lot of like ways to do it without officially raising taxes. So eventually it's going to come out of our pockets one way or the other. This debt and the interest payments are going to come out of our pockets. It always crushes the taxpayers. It always crushes the middle class. I just simply don't see any other way around it. And it, it hurts the middle class the most because let's say they do print more money. And let's say there is massive inflation, which there already is, and even more. And what's going to happen? Welfare checks will go up. Social Security checks will go up. So the people living off of government funds, they're not going to suffer. But what remains flat? Salaries remain flat. You know, the large corporations, they'll always be okay. But it's the little guy um, in the middle getting squeezed that that's going to suffer 
the most. It's our money that ends up repaying the debt. Somebody's got to repay the debt. It's not going to be Bill Gates. It's it's not going to be Jeff Bezos. All right, a Washington Post reporter, speaking of inflation, says that uh, eggs are not as expensive as we think. This bizarre op-ed in the in Washington Post, eggs are not as expensive as you think. And they go on to make the point, and, and eggs are as expensive as we think, because we go to the store and we buy the eggs. It, it, it's four or five or even six or even $7 a dozen eggs right now. I mean, it, it is out of control. I never thought I'd see the day. And, and, and eggs are in everything. You know, I said to my wife, I said, maybe we should just not be eating omelets, like, which I don't eat that many of anyway, because it, it's so expensive. Like, it's just cheaper to eat virtually anything else. She said, well, what about cake? What about cookies? What about bread? What about challah? Like, that's not really... Not not having eggs is not really an option. It is the ultimate staple. But the Washington Post reporter says, "Oh well, yeah, but if you had seen, if you, if your grandparents, if your great, if your ancestors two hundred years ago, if they could come and see your shopping cart right now, they would be so amazed. We're living like kings. We're living so wealthy that eggs are not nearly that expensive. Not nearly as much as what, what are you talking about? I mean, eggs are are, are off the charts. They're, they're they're astronomically high. Yes, two hundred years ago, yes, we live much better. Baruch Hashem, we're very lucky. We live much, much, much better than." The wealthiest king lived 200 years ago. No question, 150 years ago, no question about that. But that doesn't in any way mitigate or change the fact that inflation is out of control. It's Biden's fault. And you can't go to the grocery store without spending obscene levels of hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And a big chunk of that is eggs. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to convince my kids, you know, to, to buy some kind of like fancy toy. Instead of and, and and not eat not eat eggs this week. Instead of uh, buying a dozen eggs, you know, well, let, let's let's just go to the toy store and buy like 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 a really expensive Nerf gun or something. A Nerf toy. I don't know. Not 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 recommending toy guns. You know that that is uh that, that that's a personal decision that every parent has to make on them on their own. Biden scan and and they said well uh the chickens are not laying as many eggs. Chicken there aren't as many chickens. Chickens are being uh, harmed by the bird flu, which is true. So. Uh, you know that that's also the reason that eggs somehow don't cost a lot of money. they do cost a lot of money you're just giving a reason why and, and by the way there's like 29% reduction in the um number of eggs being produced the rate of eggs being produced by chickens because the bird flu and other factors and, and these random weird strange fires and these farms and everything but uh the 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 inflation on egg prices is like 130% 138% 29% re- reduction in egg Manufacturing and yet um, 138% increased prices, which economists are saying that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't add up. Joe Biden skipped the Super Bowl interview. And this this actually – this is troublesome to me. Of course, the mainstream media ignored the story. But uh, th- this – I'm not surprised because Biden, he cannot handle a one-on-one interview unless it's like super friendly and they're lobbing him softball. So, so Mr. President, what did you eat for – dinner last night. And by the way, I'm not even sure he could answer that. But this has been going on for years and years. And this is something Obama, I give him respect. Um, Trump, of course, sat down. They do it with whatever network is hosting the Super Bowl. So that means that if it's NBC or CBS, which are, of course, are liberal and leftist networks, then a Republican president is going to get grilled. It's going to be a tough interview. Obama did it. Obama, if it's Fox, then they're going to grill the uh, the Democrat president, and, and, and this is a long-standing tradition. So the fact that Biden broke this, I mean, it's obvious why they did it, because they're terrified to have him sit with Brett Baer, and he'll completely expose the fact that Biden is totally out to lunch, and Biden has no idea what's going on, and, he'll, and he, he would definitely 
No question, he would say the wrong things. He would start to slip on secrets. He'd talk about the China balloon. He'd talk about Hunter and about the documents. Biden has no filter at this point. So it, it would be extremely entertaining and fun, and I would enjoy every second. But uh, that's why they're not going to allow it to happen. But still, I mean, that just told, tells you everything you need to know. They talk about transparency. They claim they'd be transparent with the whole classified document scandal. They're not even close to transparent. And, uh, and, and this is the, uh, the opposite of transparent. And they're afraid it would be Brett Baer. By the way, Obama sat with Bill O'Reilly. I give credit because Bill O'Reilly asked tough questions. Bill O'Reilly was not a fan of Obama. And Obama, he held his own. And those were, in, and I didn't listen to too many of them, but they, they were very entertaining interviews and they were good interviews. They were high level interviews. And same thing with, with Trump. Uh, Trump would sit with NBC reporters and, uh, CBS reporters, et cetera. And he'd be as tough. You know, tough to, t- Trump never cared. He would take re- questions from any reporter, and he'd go at it, and he would spar back and forth with them. And there's nothing as to me as fun as watching Trump. And he had a great, great, great handle, a great grasp of the issues. And he'd go back and forth and give really, really, very, very strong answers and very tough answers, and very entertaining answers. Because that's what Trump is all about. So this is a great tradition, but just it's egregious that Biden can just break it and just get a total pass. From the mainstream media, and it wasn't going to be Bill O'Reilly. Brett Baer was going to do the interview. Brett Baer is look; he's fair. He can ask very tough questions, but Brett Baer is not exactly a flaming radical right-wing conservative. Brett Baer is very, very middle of the road. All right, you cannot make this stuff stuff up. Illegals are fleeing. Guess where? In droves. Illegals are fleeing New York City in droves. <laughs> They're going to Canada. Because of all the crime, because of the, 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 the terrible conditions in New York City. Illegals, illegals are flocking out of New York City because they're saying this place is too dangerous for me. I mean, you cannot make and, and too many, too many homeless people. Uh, literally, I mean, uh, no, no exaggeration. You can't make this stuff up. New York, of course, has taken in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of illegals. Um, and they're staying in these fancy hotels, by the way, for free, but they're still not happy. So one one illegal named Raymond Pena, he told the New York Post, quote, I'm going to Canada for a better quality of life for my family. And another illegal said, a lot of the Americans use drugs in New York. I feel like Canada will be safer. It's much quieter than America. I mean, you got illegal saying, I can't stay in New York. And that just tells you everything. How sad is that? I mean, it's, it's, piv- it's pitiful. What does it tell you about New York and the people who are living in New York City? But illegals say, we can't handle all the crime. We can't handle all the drugs. We can't handle all the homelessness. We're going to Canada. Now, how, how are they getting led into Canada? I don't know. I guess Canada has open borders just like the United States. Maybe once they're in the United States, now they get a fr- free ticket to Canada. Good. Go to Canada. Enjoy. Take your friends with you. All right. So we haven't even gotten into this, but the country is under attack. Uh, you got these spy balloons or these mystery balloons or these UFOs or whatever. You, know, you have one general who said that he's not ruling anything out. They asked him, could this be an, an, an alien invasion? And they he said, I'm not ruling anything out at this point. Like, what? What? Did he just actually say that? And and I saw somebody, there was one great line. Um, the, you know, the, the only illegal aliens that Biden is tough on is the ones that come from outer space. <laughs> He's been tougher on illegal aliens from outer space than he is illegal, illegal aliens who are crossing the Mexican border. But four spy balloons shot down in eight days, uh, one over Alaska, one over Canada. By the way, what happened to the narrative? Of, oh, we can't shoot it down over Alaska and Canada because that's too dangerous for the population below. And suddenly Biden's shooting them down over Alaska and Canada. So that debunks that bogus narrative. And uh, now they're saying, well, there have always been infiltration and just nobody ever noticed it. It's like Biden, 
not only did not do anything wrong, they're trying to make it as like, oh, yeah, Biden's actually this is actually a good thing because Biden's the first one and Biden's Pentagon are the first ones. We're the first ones who actually figured this out happening under Trump, too. I mean, does anybody believe that? We just never noticed. And now we're noticing Biden is more competent than Trump, not less competent. Does anybody believe that for a second? Sorry for being skeptical. China is playing Biden like a fiddle over here. And the U.S. needs an iron dome. I mean, the U.S. needs like serious, serious. This is this is terrifying. Like the country is like under attack. I want to be clear. I believe that China is gathering all sorts of intel. I believe that China can use this intel to do a lot of damage we'll never know about. Remember, used to be, you know, 30, 40 years ago, um, they, they could like if they wanted to cripple American weapon systems, American facilities, et cetera. Like they would need airstrikes. I mean, they would need to like conduct it to be seriously in America, infiltrate American airspace. Now, China can just basically hack in to our computers, as far as I'm concerned, our nuclear facilities. Look, I'm not saying it's easy, but I believe China has the capability to do it. So I think that they might be spying on and surveilling different areas to try to figure out where are the highest activity facilities where nukes might be stored and dangerous weapons might be stored. And they could trigger all sorts of explosions, drone attacks. Who knows? I, the, the possibilities are endless. I mean, China, they gave the, the world COVID. They got away with it. And the lesson they've learned is, wow, America's really, really afraid to retaliate. They're going to keep pushing the buttons as far as I'm concerned. I'm not trying to scare you, but I, I think they could do all sorts of very invisible type of damage using remote hacking techniques and other things. And um, and, and I'm, we know that they have spies embedded in, in the United States. So and, and they believe that nobody's home, that nobody's in charge, that Biden's not in charge, the Pentagon's not in charge. It's like a joke. The military can almost do nothing to stop them. So, and we'll never hear about it. So they've been testing Biden, see how Biden responds. As predicted, Biden's response has been weak, pitiful, just embarrassing, spineless. So this is a very, very dangerous threat. And. What's the military busy with? The military is busy with the vaccines. The military is busy with hiring uh, African-American females, not hiring people you know, who are leaders who can protect the country. And in an interview, by the way, Biden said he didn't, does not regret not bringing down that first Chinese spy balloon, even though we now know they, that, that it was equipped with antennas and it you know, had capabilities to communicate back to China. Biden said, no, I don't regret it. I don't regret waiting days and days before I shot it down. The host, Julio Vaquero, Asked Biden, he said, quote, now that we know what we know, the balloon had antennas in the communication system. Do you regret not having insisted on bringing it down sooner? And Biden answered, no, he don't. He doesn't regret it. He said the intelligence community, um, the defense community, they have forgotten more about it than you and I know. I said I wanted to shut down as soon as possible. And uh, they said that uh, damage could be done even in Montana. The thing was gigantic. What if it comes down and hits a school in a rural area? So I told them, shoot it down as soon as you could shoot it down. And they shot it down over water and they're recovering the parts. So Biden doesn't regret it. He, he, allowing China to spy on America for days uh, all over very sensitive sites and does not regret it. Um, and finally, Yoel Roth, former Twitter executive, former head of security for Twitter, very involved in a lot of the decisions, the censorship decisions when Twitter rigged the election. He testified under oath uh, last week that the Hunter Biden laptop uh, scandal and story did not violate Twitter's policies. Remember, Twitter censored it for weeks during October 2020. Twitter suspended the New York Post's entire, entire Twitter account based on the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. Remember, they told us it was Russian disinformation. 51, 51 leaders of the intel community claimed that it was likely Russian disinformation. Turned out to be debunked and bogus, but of course, they're not suffering any consequences. What an unbelievably corrupt situation. And now Yoel Roth admits in, in, in a congressional hearing, 
oh, it didn't violate any Twitter policies, but Twitter censored the story anyway, anyway. Well, why is that? Oh, right, because they wanted Biden to win. Oh, right, and they wanted, and, and the FBI told them, listen, you know, this may be Russian disinformation. We think, hint, hint, wink, 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 we think that this story should be hidden from the public. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.